for the scrutiny of our lives, that we may also know our sins and misery and seek our life outside of ourselves in Jesus Christ. So God speaks all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not take him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. As we sow, scrutinize our lives and desire indeed to walk in uprightness before the Lord and live in thankfulness according to his commandments, we do indeed have to seek our lives outside of ourselves in Jesus Christ. As we read in the letter to the Hebrews, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? 
In response, let us sing from Psalm 65, stanza 2. Seeing, brothers and sisters, we turn to the epistle of James. We find that right after this letter to the Hebrews, James, the letter of James, chapter 5, of which we read the verses 7 through 20. In response, we will be singing from Psalm 142, the stanzas 1, 2, 4, and 6. James 5, starting at verse 7, this is the Word of God. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruits. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So far the reading of God's holy word. This morning, brothers and sisters, we take our focal point in James 5, verse 16b. 
James 5, verse 16b, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That's our text. In response to the sermon, we will be singing from Psalm 34, the stanzas 6 and 7. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, this morning's scripture passage, brothers and sisters, contains some peculiar aspects. Maybe not so much for us as believers, but certainly peculiar for our time. The passage is about prayer. We read about this matter of prayer in context of sickness, sin, and confession. An example is used which speaks about the combination of prayer and the weather. Are these matters not somewhat outdated? Who is still concerned about his sins to the extent that his guilty conscience causes sickness? Who would be prepared still to confess his sins to his neighbor? Yes, today, in the year 2019, who still upholds these practices, believing that our prayers are powerful and effective? As I said, brothers and sisters, our passage is about prayer. Do we still believe that prayer is an activity of the greatest significance? When the matter comes up in a pastoral discussion, it happens quite often that people admit that their prayers are just occasional. And when there is a tendency toward indifference or a decline in spiritual life, it's the practice of prayer that is first to suffer. Prayer loses its significance because it doesn't help anyway, it is alleged. Do you still believe in the power of prayer? That seems surprising today. Prayer is such a vague affair. It seems to be hanging in the air. The same is the case with God, though. He is a vague entity as well not tangible, really. No wonder the attitude towards sin and sinning is alarming in our time as well. In view of this, beloved, it is important, first of all, that we know God rightly, according to his word, that is, when he is a living reality in our life, the power of prayer will return as well. Prayer is not outdated, also not in the world of 2019. When we pray, we do not close our eyes to reality, 
as some allege. But we go to God with our questions, our struggles, and our troubles in this reality. We need prayer in order to cope with our suffering in the midst of this world. We seek an answer with the God of the Scriptures regarding our uncertainty about the tensions in this world. For our questions concerning the economy or for problems in marriage and family, we must do so because we may believe that prayer is a tremendous power which will amaze everyone who sees it. So I proclaim to you the Word of God under this theme. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. We see, first of all, its source, and secondly, its effects. So I summarize the message this morning as follows. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. We see its source and then its effect. So first, its source. In the original language, brothers and sisters, James uses a word for power that's very familiar to us. Energy. Great energy is given to the prayer of a righteous man. We all know about the importance of energy. We also realize that in order to produce energy, we need a source for it. In our world of today, sources for energy are at the heart of international unrest, causes behind competition and political strategies. Sources for energies are objects of study in laboratories for cancer research as well as for atomic power. We need energy to keep society moving, to keep the people mobile, to keep up scientific progress. Well, in our text, we hear James speak already about energy. Prayer is an energy which keeps human life moving. The prayer of a righteous man is effective because energy is attributed to it, or literally because such a prayer is loaded with energy. Now, from the Scriptures, beloved, we know of various kinds of prayers. Prayer is not only a personal matter. We also know of intercessory prayers. Christ's prayer for his church, John 17, for instance, is one of those prayers. The Apostle Paul exhorts the church to pray for the government and for the world. In the Old Testament, we hear Abraham plead with the Lord for Sodom and Gomorrah, or the prophet Elijah for Israel and the land. In the New Testament, the church prays for an individual like Peter. Also, the prayer the Lord Jesus taught us has such an intercessory element, where he tells us to pray, Our Father, give us today. Well, in our scripture passage, this intercessory prayer stands out. It shows us the prayer the elder prays over the sick, also the prayers for each other. It's in the context of these prayers that James writes about prayers loaded with energy. 
Well, the examples I just mentioned certainly illustrate this point. Besides, I'm sure we all know of examples from the daily reality of life that prayers are powerful. Yet, the uncertainty about prayers and the reality of its power, brothers and sisters, is due quite often to the occurrence of what we call prayers that are unheard or unanswered. Are there such prayers? Well, yeah, James writes about that too. In chapter 4, for instance, he says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So it's, tr it's true that not every prayer is answered, not every prayer is full of energy. James calls us to self-examination. We have to test ourselves to see why we pray and how. Hence, in our passage, he speaks about prayers offered in faith. He clearly indicates that it is the Lord's power that's required. We have to note carefully, therefore, that we read in our text that it is the prayer of a righteous man that's powerful and effective. As we read in the book of Proverbs already, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Proverbs 15, verse 29. Then who is this righteous man? Is that you or I? Are we in the picture as we are sitting here together? Should we not look for a special class of prayers? For exceptional people like Elijah, whom James adduces as an example? No. No, beloved. This righteous man does not belong to a special class of believers in the congregation. James doesn't speak about a category of saints or extra pious people who have more impact than the ordinary children of God. It's not the perfect believer either. The righteous man and woman is every sinner who seeks refuge with his life in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's every sinner who by the grace of the Holy Spirit may believe that Christ's righteousness is his or her righteousness. Those are the people James has in mind. From the context, we observe that James has people in mind who are suffering. He encourages his fellow Christians to endure in the faith. Yes, he reminds them of a man like Job or of the prophets in the Old Testament who also endured and persevered in their faith. You see, it is possible, thanks to the compassion and mercy of God, to persevere. Just like these Old Testament people New Testament Christians meet with a lot of opposition in their life. They encounter many trials and tribulations. The temptations from the world are many and very difficult at times. That's what causes the suffering. 
Who is able always to stand them? Then don't start swearing oaths to strengthen your position or to confirm your confession, James tells them, but just be faithful. If you have said yes to God, stick to your yes. If you have said no to the world, don't swear that you did, trying to cover up your weaknesses, but stick to it. Don't let your no to the world change into a yes because of the pressures. However, if that does happen, if you do succumb at times, if you do suffer from the pressures, these troubles, you should pray, James says. For when you pray, you receive power to endure, to remain patient and faithful to your vows. So let's note carefully, beloved, that James is here addressing suffering due to troubles and concerns, spiritual suffering, first of all. The word he uses we find in 2 Timothy 1, verse 8 and 2, verse 9, where the Apostle Paul also speaks about his suffering for the gospel. Such suffering quite often is accompanied of a sense of weakness, of failure, and of experiences which will trouble our conscience. What happens then, James intimates, is that people's weakness of faith or feelings of guilt make it hard for them to pray, makes them sick or weary or depressed. They can't handle it any longer. Then what do you do? You call the elders of the church that they may pray over you. Besides, they will anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord, he adds. However, that's subservient to the prayers. The prayers are central, as the sentence shows. The prayers are the most eminent means of pastoral care. The anointing is then not a means with a medical purpose, but it is symbolic for the power of God, like the Old Testament sign of the Holy Spirit. A sign, that action has disappeared. Also because of the Roman Catholic position that just as with the water of baptism, also this ointment supposedly had power in itself. Yet its meaning remains. Through prayer, the elder pleads for the power of the Holy Spirit to strengthen the suffering believer so that they may endure, persevere in faith, continue on the way of Christ. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. You see, beloved, then the sick person here is such a sufferer then James does not make a plea for faith healing or so. He doesn't suggest calling the elders into the sick room of one of the members of the congregation. No, the word James uses here is the same as in Hebrews 12, verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such opposition against himself, 
so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. It's from spiritual weariness that the sufferer, the sick person, will be healed upon the prayers of the elders. That's a spiritual healing. A healing in the sense of being saved from stumbling, from falling from, into sin, as James adds as well. Against this background, brothers and sisters, the example of Elijah takes on greater significance as well. Undoubtedly, you will remember the event in which Jezebel sent a messenger, messenger to Elijah with the message that she will ensure his certain death. Then what does Elijah do? He deserts from his service. He just doesn't see it anymore. He suffers so much that he withdraws to the wilderness and lays down his weary head to die. Elijah is such a sufferer. That's when the Lord himself puts him on his feet and preserves him for his service. Brothers and sisters, do you see what prayer James is speaking about? It is the prayer of such a one who seeks his life outside of himself in Jesus Christ. They seek refuge in the cross of our crucified Savior. They believe in Christ's intercession before the Father. They look to Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of their faith. It is the supplication of the believer who wants to live as believer. Such a man is righteous. What great blessing it is for office bearers to lead him or her back to the throne of God's grace, to the work of Jesus Christ, and to the forgiveness of sins in his blood. That's also what happened to Elijah, whom the Lord had led back to his work, to his word. Yes, and to the power of that word. You see, that's the greatness in the life of Elijah. Not that Elijah was such a great prayer, but that the Lord manifested himself as the source of great powers. For us too, that's the source of power loaded with energy. As office bearers and fellow members, we may lead each other back to the truth of that word. Then the prayers of the righteous will save from sin and death as James says in the closing words of his epistle. The Lord our God, beloved, does not invite sloppy prayers, powerless prayers, prayers that convey an attitude of, it may come or it may not, and if it comes, it's surprising. Prayers like that lack the faith of the righteous prayer because the Word of God does not energize them. The prayers of the righteous are prayers that are based on the word of God, on the promises of God. Then in his word, the Lord does not promise to heal the sick, but he will sustain the weary. Then with faith we may pray in the midst of all our problems, and the Spirit will pray for us and with us with sighs too deep for words. 
The Spirit will comfort us and strengthen us and lead us in all the truth. Yes, he will help us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we may strengthen our feeble arms and weak knees, make level paths for our feet, and be healed, which is then the effect, our second point, its effects. The prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working, James writes in this summarizing sentence. That effect, beloved, is then in the first place in the forgiveness of our sins. The weaknesses of his faith, the stumbling in his walk of faith, and the troubles in his life of faith, which are the cause behind his weariness, will be healed by the forgiveness in Christ's blood. Then the righteous man will alert his fellow believers, fellow members as well, to be strengthened in their faith. The seriousness of his own case will cause him to urge others to speak about their struggles and troubles in their life of faith. Don't walk around with your sins. Don't try to handle your struggles, your grief over sin by yourselves. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. How far this practice is removed from the reality of our life in the communion of saints, brothers and sisters. Do we ever allow others to know the secrets of our life? How often are we not to blame ourselves when others judge us wrongly because we never allow others to look into our hidden struggles and troubles? Would it not improve the true communion of saints richly if we could confide in each other how difficult it is to be a Christian? What enrichment we would receive in our families and marriages if we could speak about our struggles with the demands that come with a Christian lifestyle. Now, however, we often struggle on our own and we deprive each other of the healing powers of the prayer of our fellow believers. We are more concerned about making a good impression on others to ensure that they won't think we are not as good a Christian as they are. Is it because we look down on the sins and weaknesses of others? Or do we underestimate our own sins? Is that why we do not dare to exchange honestly the guilt in our life, the suffering due to the weaknesses of our faith? Beloved, I'm holding up to you the Word of God, which proclaims to you the powerful effect of speaking confidentially with a brother or sister about a sin that troubles you. What great relief it gives when we find in one another a listening ear so that we can share the struggles we experience in our service to God or in our life of faith. Sometimes members continue to walk around with burdens too heavy to bear, sins of youth, 
or weaknesses of the flesh, or secret sins and the like. How encouraging and uplifting it can be to unload a guilty conscience to a trusted brother or sister. And such a fellow righteous one who knows his own sins and finds comfort and assurance of faith himself in the work of atonement of Christ our Savior can pray and bring healing. Yes, also when we see a brother or sister live in sin or condone sinful patterns in his life, then the conviction of faith that a humble heart-to-heart discussion followed by prayer could return life and joy and strength of faith to such a one should move us to seek his salvation. What great energy of prayer we would see in such events beloved. If you think that atomic energy in all its explosive power is impressive, wait till you see the effects of such prayer energies. Nuclear energy is restricted to this created world, but such prayer energy discharges powers equal to the power of Christ's resurrection from the dead. What a turnabout it works! Indeed, that's the lesson James wants to impress on us when he uses the example of Elijah's prayer. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. It happened in Ahab's days. He was king over God's people, but he himself had forsaken the Lord. He trusted other powers. He felt safer with political alliances and economic agreements. Besides, he had exchanged the Lord with gods of nature, Baal and Astarte, to assure himself of fertility of the land. Then in that situation, Elijah, the prophet of the Lord, wanted to show the king and the people how insignificant and unreliable all these powers were. Then Elijah wanted to show contrary to this, that only the help and power of the Lord should suffice. Hence, when Elijah's preaching did not have the desired effect of repentance and return, he resorted to prayer. Is Baal your God of rain and sunshine? Well, we'll challenge Baal. I'll challenge him precisely there where Baal's power is supposed to be. And then Elijah prays. Just like you can see, beloved, how the Holy Spirit sheds a new and special light on the life of Job in this scripture passage, so you see it here too with respect to this story in the book of Kings. In the book of Kings, you know, we do not read this explicitly about these prayers of Elijah. 
Perhaps the facts about this prayer may have come may have become common knowledge by means of other sources than the book of Kings. At this point, however, the Holy Spirit deems it important to stress the fact that it was upon the prayer of one man, the prophet of the Lord, that the Lord had brought a drought upon the land of Israel for the time of three and a half years. Elijah wanted to show God's people that only when the Lord is everything for the land and for the church, in the people's personal life and in their national affairs, that then only will flourish and will shine in God's glory. That's when Elijah wrestled in prayer, wrestled for God's judgment in order that the Lord would receive again the honor that is due to him. And that prayer was heard, beloved. Awesome powers were the effects of the prayers of one prophet of the Lord. It was a prayer of faith. It was based on God's word. In Deuteronomy 28, for instance, where the Lord had foretold that he would curse the land if his people would forsake him. Brothers and sisters, do you realize how great the powers the Lord has given to Jesus Christ? Powers of life and restoration, but also powers of destruction and perdition. God has given you all his love in Jesus Christ. When you despise his word and spurn his love, however, persisting in your own stubborn ways, the prayers of the righteous could come against you with awesome effects. That's the prayers of ordinary people, simply praying in accordance with God's word. No such prayers would not intend to death of the sinners, but that the sinner repents from his ways and lives. As was the case with Israel in Elijah's days, when the people of Israel cried, the Lord is God, the Lord is God, and repented from their evil and foolish ways. Then Elijah prayed again. He wrestled with his God once more because he knew the Lord as just and merciful and compassionate. Then in his great mercy, the Lord sent rain. Indeed, he did upon the prayer of a righteous man. This is the word of God, beloved, which works faith. Faith also in the power of prayer. Elijah prayed, not for his own advantage, for the promotion of his own pleasures or material well-being, but for the manifestation of God's power and glory and honor in the life of his people. If that's what we seek with our life in Jesus Christ, we may be assured of even greater powers through Jesus Christ our Savior. That's how we must and may pray today according to the word of God. That prayer is effective for our fellow members in the communion of saints. 
With these prayers, we stand in the midst of this world with the gospel of salvation going out in various places. Then we pray, not that it may be easy and quiet for us, but that we may receive the power to obey the Father's will, to promote his kingdom and to glorify his name to the ends of the earth. Then we may pray for peace, but not to spend our time pampering ourselves in all the pleasures of this world, but that the church may flourish in all godliness. Then we pray because we believe in the powers of life which are given upon the prayers of believing sinners. Amen.